Well, good morning. Hope you all are well today. Uh, <laughs> Braden was mentioning earlier today, it was a bit of a bit of struggle somehow to get here today because of the fog. So, um, man, uh, sometimes uh, things and the planning of our service just go perfect. And Joey, that, that song couldn't have been more perfect walking into this passage we have today. Um, if you would, grab a Bible and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Praise God for his providence. Continuing our series uh, of sermons titled Rise, Encouragement for the Fight. This is an elder collaborated sermon series from 2 Timothy. If you didn't know that, we've been kind of sharing some thoughts with one another and confirming some things and, and helping one another. In chapter 1, Kim and Greg unpacked a series of texts that outlined our noble entrustment with the gospel. Literally, our charge to be guardians of the gospel. To be guardians. You know, it's so easy some days uh, to feel really unworthy to that noble call. Feel like, why would I be entrusted with this? Why would I be entrusted with this? I feel ill-equipped for such a thing. In fact, some of you, you'd be tempted to say, okay, because 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, and Titus are all written primarily to a pastor, Timothy, that it's got to be primarily to pastors that this is entrusted. That is not true. And so if you, in your mind, kind of finagle, sure, pastors, spiritual leaders, spiritual giants, but not me. Friends, you are equipped with the gospel. You are entrusted with the gospel and the task of moving it forward. So before getting into today's text, I want to just do a quick catch-up from where we've been in chapter 1 by way of my own personal reflections from Kim and Greg's sermons. Um, that first week, um, we were reminded of just how Paul wanted Timothy to know that he thought of him, he prayed for him. And um, it's important to know that you are being prayed for. And you want to know what? Um, I don't know why it's happened this way, but over the last two to three weeks, I've had more people tell me that they prayed for me than I have probably at any time over the last several months. Uh, I could go on naming them. Most of them came from within our church, um, and then uh, one from without. But, um, man, there is something about the giddy-up you get when you know people are praying for you. Um, and there's something of a discouragement when you're not sure that they are. I want you to know I pray for you. I want you to know I pray for you in a general way as a church, but I also want you to know that fortunately, the way my morning worked out, I got to actually see names of people who would be here, and I prayed for each of you today. You're prayed for. Whatever gospel task the Lord has you at, you're equipped for it, and you're entrusted with it. You also have a heritage of the story. I remember Kim mentioning just the godly heritage that Timothy was raised under. You may not have been raised under a godly heritage, but your heritage is still your heritage. It's still your story. Even if it's weird and broken, that script can be flipped and used for the glory of God and for the furthering of gospel. Don't let anyone believe or tell you differently. Also, I was thinking about tendencies. You know, Timothy, timid. 
I have tendencies, you have tendencies. We all have tendencies that are not exactly the most God-glorifying tendencies. That even your, ten, your tendencies and even difficult things about your personality, and some of us have difficult things about our personalities, those are not chains. Those are not chains. In fact, God's giftedness to us and the Spirit's gifts of power, love, and self-discipline for us takes what lacks in us and makes it beautiful and strong for the gospel's work. And in that stream of thought, even our current or ongoing struggles are not a showstopper. I'm sure there are some current, ongoing struggles that you have. They're actually opportunities, though, when you look at it just right through the gospel lens. They're opportunities to press into the strength of our faithful Heavenly Father. By the way, we'll actually talk a little bit about that later today. Finally, I, and, and I've gotten, I've kind of moved through Kim's into Greg's sermon, merged into him, but... Um, I was recalled, this wasn't something that Greg emphasized, but something he said kind of reminded me of this while listening to him. Um, nothing depends on you. Nothing depends on you. Meaning, there are those who have paved a way for us to show us what it looks like to be faithful to the gospel. Hebrews talks about this quite a bit, and it encourages us to look to them. You stand on many people's shoulders, many faithful men and women's shoulders. They're examples for us to follow. We should look at them. You don't have to make this up as you go along. You have models to look back to. You have models in front of you today to look to. And by the way, the same indwelling, Christ-mediating Holy Spirit that was the key to their success, that exact same Holy Spirit indwells you if you've trusted Christ. You have what it takes. You're not too broken, weak, or just plain incompetent to be entrusted with the gospel. Like it or not, you're God's plan. I'm God's plan. We are God's plan. So, take your charge. Take your charge. Be a guardian of the gospel. As Greg reminded us last week, guard the good deposit. Don't let it escape or leave its place of centrality in your life. Defend and persuade, if necessary, both yourself your own heart and others, that it is sufficient for all things, and grow deeply into its depths of rich transformational truth. Okay, that brings us to where we are today, chapter 2, verse 1. Let's read it. I'm, by the way, reading out of the Christian Standard Bible translation. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from David, according to my gospel, for which I suffered to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Can we say that again? Why don't you say that with me? The word of God is not bound. 
This is why I endure all things for the elect, the people of Jesus, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Why do you think suffering, specifically for or due to the gospel faith, why do you think that's inevitable? I mean, have you ever really just thought about that? Like, why does it have to be inevitable? Why does it have to be something that's just true? Well, there are a few ways that question could actually be answered, but here's the way that pertains to this week's text that we just read and the kind of suffering that Paul is encouraging us to share in. The gospel, which we were entrusted with, is constantly, in this world, constantly coming into contact and conflict with all that is broken, all that is rebellious, all that is idolatrous in our world. And that collision represents a constant array of pain points just waiting to happen. And the results are sufferings and difficulties of various kinds. Sometimes those sufferings are a big deal. Sometimes they're minor in comparison. We all know that. We all experience a little of both. But regardless, the Bible seems to paint a picture of ongoing difficulty as normative. Like, that's normative when one's life and faith is according to the gospel. Now, consider those last three verses from today's text that we just read. This saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So in case it's not clear, here's a simplified summary from these three verses. And I almost got to ask, do you want the good news or the bad news first? (laughs) Because I'm going to start with the bad news, starting with the end, verse 12, at the end of verse 12, the second part of it. This verse says, by consistently denying Jesus, who has been painted in these passages, in the above verses as rescuer, forgiver, renewer, and king, by denying Jesus in the way that I respond when confronted with the pain points of suffering, the pain points of difficulty that occur when the gospel and this fallen world collide, Jesus will, he promises, deny me at the judgment. This is those mo- one of those moments where you take the scriptures and you go ahead and you let the weight of it be felt. He will deny me at the judgment if I deny him. In other words, Jesus will tell the truth about his relationship with me, my relationship with him, that I truly have no allegiances to him. Said another way in verse 13, by consistently acting in faithless ways, choosing to distrust the gospel, he will be faithful to himself and give me exactly what I want. What he promises for those who choose to put their faith in lesser things, that they will, in fact, remain fallen. They'll remain lost. And they will will fall greatly and lose everything at the judgment. That's bad news. But there's good news. In verse 11, if we died with him, we also will live with him. In other words, when our allegiance is to Christ, when the pain points of this world come, 
We stand firm in the gospel. We should stand firm in the gospel. Even as it can often bring great suffering and difficulty, death in the most extreme of cases, of course, and it has occurred to those who have followed Jesus throughout the ages. But not all death is physical death, right? When our allegiance to Christ comes into contact with the things of this fallen, rebellious, and broken world, we usually have to die to the things that we would normally use, the things we would normally employ to alleviate that suffering. Because there's nothing comfortable about the gospel and the world colliding and then sitting there in it. So oftentimes we try to find something to relieve the pressure. We go to things that will relieve the pressure, like the pressure release on an air compressor valve. We have little escape hatches. Little escape hatches we often use, but those escape hatches come with a price. You're not just escaping the suffering. You're walking away from Jesus. You're walking away from Jesus. But verse 12 says that if we endure, we will reign with him. We will reign with him. Paul's talked about this elsewhere in the scriptures, specifically in his letter to the Philippian church in chapter 3. He's already expanded on this idea quite a bit. I want to read this for you. He says this, Because of him, because of Jesus, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, refuse, garbage, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. And so my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. To know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Have you ever thought about that phrase? The fellowship of his sufferings? Like there is fellowship with Jesus in our sufferings as they mimic the sufferings of Christ. Fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. So did you pick up on what he was saying there at the end? I'm paraphrasing, of course, but he pretty much said that through endurance and death in the midst of suffering is how one reaches resurrection. <laughs> Eventual resurrection, but also something of a victory or a resurrection in this life as well. It may not be anything close to the resurrection that's to come, of course, but it is a resurrection of sorts but it's only through the endurance unto suffering. In other words, just as we read here in 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, in the gospel, it is through endurance and death that we rise. And last week, Greg touched on why we would be willing to suffer as guardians of the gospel. The apostle Paul himself was reflecting on all that God has done for him, and he just couldn't, he can't help but respond by saying, this is why I suffer. This is why I sit in chains. I, I'm okay with what the Lord has for me in this season, specifically because I cannot help but reflect on all that he's done for me, which it just blows his mind. And he's welcoming us or inviting us in to do the same. But sometimes, while the why may be clear, the how isn't so clear to us. In our pursuit of keeping our integrity in the gospel faith, and then we inevitably suffer as a result, we can often feel like we're not suffering very well or suffering in a very faithful way. Um, 
you oftentimes feel people who are wasting away by disease kind of talk about this a lot, not sure whether they're suffering very well, always kind of second-guessing whether they're doing that. Sometimes we do it in just small ways. And sometimes we just don't know what we're up, whether we're up to the task or not, whether we got what it takes in this moment. Maybe we think we're too broken, we're too flawed, too weak. I hear that a lot. We might think that maintaining full gospel integrity in a complex and fallen world is nearly impossible. It's not. Friends, if Jesus has saved you and me, he has given us new hearts. And that's, that's a part of the gospel message. He rechanged our hearts and gave us new hearts. You can maintain gospel integrity. You can keep doctrinal fidelity. You can endure pain points that make us uncomfortable and even hurt us. You can stand on the scripture and its truth and not be ashamed of any of it, even when those things collide, sometimes uncomfortably, with this world. You can suffer well. You see, in the gospel, it is through endurance and death that we actually rise. And we actually have a model for suffering that is found in today's verses help you follow along and sometimes it's helpful hopefully it is today i've organized um, the principles from today's passage as four statements of encouragement for those that might be discouraged for those who might be defeated by suffering and difficulties that come in taking up the charge um, to be entrusted with this gospel and i do specifically call them uh, some statements of encouragement i mentioned how um pep in my step it was to hear of people praying for from me at several points over the last several weeks something else that i've also received over the last few weeks were words of encouragement anyone who knows me and knows my personality knows that i that's not my love language i don't need you to tell me at a boy very much that's just not who i am but nobody including myself is without the need for encouragement all the time and if there's one thing I've noticed about myself through receiving words of encouragement from a few very select people, um, I didn't realize how parched I was for them. I have a sense that most people I run into in the world are running at an encouragement deficit right now. Maybe you are. Maybe someone in your family is. Maybe you're not. I don't know, but... These are statements of encouragement. Here are the four statements. One, you have the strength you need. Two, you have the knowledge that provides the perspective you need. Three, you have meaningful actions you can take today. That should excite you. And fourth, you have a vision laid out for you. You don't even have to make it up. It's already laid out for you for what really matters. So starting with that first statement of encouragement, you have the strength you need. Look at verse 1. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. When being entrusted with the gospel, you and I were given power outside of ourselves in the Holy Spirit to enable us to be trustworthy with the gospel. Despite the many sufferings and difficulties that might come our way, friends, we are in Christ. That is a constant, resounding statement in the scriptures. 
especially the New Testament texts, we share in his sufferings, but also in his life. That means we can choose to die to self as needed on this life journey, whether we need to die to self-reliance, self-confidence, even self-doubt. Self-doubt is not noble, oftentimes. Oftentimes, self-doubt is just another way we're focused on self. To be strong in the grace that is in Jesus means we choose not to depend on our own strength or sulk in our own weaknesses. We lean into better strength. We pray instead of post. We fast instead of flee. We search the scriptures instead of scroll our news feed. We cling to the promises of scriptures instead of the latest headlines. Look at verse 2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men. By the way, oftentimes in the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, some statement like this would be geared towards those aspiring to uh, spiritual leadership and, and pastoring, and it would usually be qualified by using the word for male, um, the masculine. This is not one of those times, actually. This is actually man in the general sense, meaning people, humankind. Commit to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. This is also not talking about the teaching ministry of elders, but rather the basic handing down of the gospel truth, something that all of us actually, as a part of guardians of the gospel, are entrusted to do, whether it's to children, whether it's to disciples, whether it's to friends. We are meant to pass and teach the gospel or gospel one another. And he's saying to do this, to multiply it, teach the kind of people who would be faithful to continue teaching it and to others. And there's kind of a reason why he's getting into this here because the church here that he's writing to is fairly ravaged, actually. A lot of leaders have departed. I mean, Satan's just had his way. And he's saying, man, you, standing firm and being faithful there, you build the next version of the church of where you're at. And trust it. Start multiplying it. Regrow a thriving community. And I'm wondering, he's not just telling him this here because that's a good thing to do in and of itself, because it is, but also because when we entrust or when God entrusts us with the gospel, we're also placed into a burden-bearing community with whom we were meant to share sufferings. That means we die to rugged individualism, to autonomy, anonymity. We live, live as if two are actually better than one. And so we do our part to deepen and widen the ever-multiplying gospel community. Both, we both form and are being formed in the community of God's people where and when we live. We abandon lone rangerism in favor of a spiritual family that we have been given as God's gift to us in Christ. Because you see, in the gospel, when we choose to endure, we choose to draw our strength from what has been available to us, given to us in the spirit, and in our spiritual family, we can then choose to die to self-sufficiency and self-effort and self-doubt. And when we endure sufferings 
and die to such things as these, we do rise. We do rise. Now, for our last three statements of encouragement, we need to refamiliarize ourselves with a passage that's a little further down in our text, verse 7 and the beginning of verse 8. Look at this. Consider what I say. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ. Consider what I say. It's referring to the three metaphors that are found above that verse. What that means is he's inviting us to ponder these and what they mean. And, and we could reread them, but I've already read them once, and I'm, so I'm going to refer to them for the remainder of our time. But he's invited us to ponder these three metaphors and what they imply about our sufferings and sharing in them for the sake of the gospel. And then he says, remember Jesus Christ. And what comes after, what he's doing is he's bidding us to recall all that Paul is about to remind us about Jesus, our model sufferer who influences the nature of our own suffering. So with that in mind, for our three final words of encouragement, we're going to consider the meanings of these metaphors and remember the example of Jesus, the example of Jesus who is our model sufferer and also informs our own suffering. So let's get to that second statement of encouragement. It's this, you have knowledge that provides perspective. You are not aware of what is ahead of us or what life is supposed to bring us. You don't bury your head in the sand. Or at least, I have no excuse to do so. You and I, if we're in Christ, have been given insight and expectations for this life that are true and realistic. True and realistic. Not realistic in a cynical way. Realistic in a God's word says it way. Share in suffering as a soldier, as an athlete, as a hardworking farmer, while remembering Jesus. Consider how freeing it could be if we embrace the truths that are to be found in these metaphors. How it would redirect our expectations in this life when suffering comes our way. Part of the reason I suffer poorly, you suffer poorly, is because we have unrealistic expectations as to what this life has for us. He has just called it like a soldier. You're going to have to be like an athlete. You're going to have to be like a hardworking farmer. And you're going to have to be all those things remembering Jesus. Like a soldier, I should expect to find myself deployed to points of conflict and dissonance in this life. I should really expect that. He might even hold your hats. He might want me there. Ooh. He doesn't want my suffering that bad. He might want you there. Like an athlete, I should expect resistance and adversity. Life is a race, oftentimes, Paul tells us. He loves that metaphor. Like a farmer, I should expect the world without the gospel to be largely uncultivated, <laughs> raw, and filled with thorns and thistles. Remember the curse? Still true. Still true. So we suffer well when we embrace what the Bible tells us about the world. 
We walk into each day of life with renewed expectation as to the nature of our world. It's almost kind of like bracing for a fall. I'm not in any way telling you to brace for the worst every day. Brace for what it is, though. Receive the world for what it is. It can be far more because God's kingdom has come, but it cannot be his full kingdom come. That is yet to be. And remembering Jesus, because of the gospel, we can now die to illusions that we believe. Illusions of safe life. We can die to the illusion of an easy life. We can die to the false promises of the good life. We can die to all those things now. Because they're illusions, and they make false claims on our souls. And remembering Jesus, I do all these things having been relieved of the burdens of my sins. He reminds us that he's the Savior in those texts. Remember Jesus, resurrected from the dead, which told us what he accomplished on the cross, took. He's forgiven me for my sins, finding myself now a citizen of a better kingdom and a better king, despite the difficulties I experience in a land of lesser kingdoms and kings. Look at verse 9. For which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Friends, you and I can endure because the gospel is true and the gospel is not bound by the world or our difficult circumstances. I love the picture that that Kim and, and Greg both painted of Paul in chains in this dark dungeon. He never for a moment imagined the gospel was bound in the way he was bound. He just looked for a way for his chains to show that the gospel was far freer than others would think. Because you see in the gospel, when we choose to endure, transforming our perspective from the insight given by God's revelation to us in the scriptures, you and I, we can die to the many false expectations that we have for this world. And when we endure sufferings and die to these things, such things, we rise. (laughs) Here's our third statement of encouragement. You have meaningful actions you can take today. Today. Not tomorrow. Well, you can take them tomorrow too. But today, the minute you leave this room, you have actions you can take today. People love that. Good application. I can go do. Like a soldier, we can identify and eliminate distractions that lead us to serve and suffer poorly. What is distracting you? Like an athlete, we can discipline ourselves and make the needed sacrifices that prepare us to endure. I wonder, what is your ratio of disciplines and sacrifices you make to the ratio of allowances and indulgences you take? What does that ratio look like? To win, to race, discipline and sacrifice are given. What can you discipline yourself to and sacrifice? starting today. Like the farmer 
the hardworking farmer, it emphasizes, we do hard things. We do hard things. At some point, we bit off that appetizer that says that your Christian life can be only easy things. <laughs> we do hard things. That's part of what we do. We look at what is hard, and we just choose to put our head down and put down our hand to the plow. <laughs> Sometimes it's just what you got to do. You just got to work. Get to work. What do you need to start getting to work on? These actions mean we might need to die to some novelties, frivolities in our lives. Maybe we need to die to unproductive busyness. You know there is such a thing, right? It's the equivalent of paper shuffling. <laughs> you may need to die to some unproductive busyness, die to some time-wasting activities, might need to die to an undisciplined and overly indulgent life. Some of us may need to die to laziness. So in all this, as the apostles encouraged us, we remember Jesus. Remember Jesus, the cross he endured, which became our salvation. It reminds us that the crosses we choose to bear can be endured and leveraged for the gospel. So we can die to these other things. Because you see, in the gospel, when we choose to endure, finding ways to make our suffering work for the cause of the gospel, that's what Paul was doing in his dungeon. He was just making his chains work for the gospel. Because he knew the gospel wasn't bound. And when we do that, we can die to the things that entangle us in self-pity and sulking. When we endure our sufferings and die to these things, we rise. Here's our fourth and final statement of encouragement today, and I'll leave you with this. You have been given a vision for what really matters. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to create it out of thin air. The Bible lays it out for you. You have been given a vision for what really matters. You don't have to have endless nights of lacking sleep, wondering about God's vision for your life. Many of us suffer because we live life under the idea of the wrong metrics or the wrong measurables or even the wrong life goals, if you want to say it that way. Another way of saying it is that we are motivated by many flesh-birthed hopes. And it affects how we suffer. It does. It affects how we suffer. Or even whether we will even choose to suffer for the sake of the gospel. But in 2 Timothy 2, we are given a vision for what really matters so that we can nurture motivations that are glorifying to God and good for us. Like a soldier that is motivated by pleasing his commander, you and I are to be motivated by pleasing Jesus. <laughs> That's what gets us up in the morning, to please Jesus. Whatever comes our way, if he says, well done, good and faithful servant, is all worth it. It's all worth it. Like an athlete that is motivated by his victory prize, we are to be motivated by our coming crown. And what he means here by saying crown, he's talking about his crown of righteousness. If you didn't peek ahead to chapter 4, he actually tells about his crown of righteousness. That's what he's referring to. That he'll receive from Jesus. That means we live for the day that Jesus will finally and fully transform us into our true selves. <laughs> a person of no internal conflicts or brokenness. A 
person that perfectly images and glorifies his heavenly Father. We live for that day of being transformed. And like a hardworking farmer that is motivated by enjoying the first fruits of his toils, we are to be motivated and receive joy from the first fruits of our gospel later, labors. And those labors come in both uh, growth for our own personal holiness and in our labors on behalf of others. It's both. We find first fruits in both of these things. We are to consider those results as more precious to us than an infinite amount of paychecks that we'll receive in our lifetime. And so nurturing these motivations means that we die to other motivations. We die to our personal agendas for the world. We die to our misguided pursuits of self-fulfillment and fleshly self-improvement. We die to finding joy in frivolous and momentary things. And so we remember Jesus choose to live for things that are of eternal value that bring glory to God and the eternal good of people. He says, I do this for the elect. For the salvation of the elect. Because you see, in the gospel, when we choose to endure, motivated by the gospel's eternal gifts in Christ, we can then die to our temporal and fleshly motivations because when we endure and die to these things, we rise. Do you believe that? 